Mike check one two one two. Mike check one two one two. A taste to consider podcast. I'm back. I'm a day late, but I'm still on time. I'm gonna let this play for a little bit. Mike check one two one two. I'm back. A taste to consider podcast. Another week has ended. A new week about to begin. Mercury retrograde is officially over. We are now in spring. Today is Sunday. Yesterday was the first day of spring, spring equinox. Time for some new beginnings. This is the real new year, the real new year. I'm feeling pretty good. Got a few things to talk about. I'm going to try to run through everything pretty smoothly, pretty quick. Taste to consider podcast. I'm trying to get myself right. I just got in the house, just got back from uh, my parents' house having dinner. Uh, it's what I do every Sunday. Every Sunday, I go over my parents' house and have dinner. Let's start the show. It's a taste to consider podcast. I'm your host, Derek Silver, and we're back. Back for another episode. Yes, back for another episode. A day late. A day late. Yes, I was supposed to record yesterday, but of course, can't control everything. Things don't always go as planned. So we here Sunday night. Uh, What time is it? 9.16, about to knock this show out real quick. You know, I got work in the morning. I got to get up for work. I don't have to go to work. I have to get up for work. It's a good thing about it. I really don't like recording on Sundays because of that, you know, um, even though I'm still teleworking from home. um, You know, mindset-wise, you know, when you think of Sunday, you think I got to get ready for work Monday. So, you know, I'm still stuck in that in that mind frame, even though I don't have to get up and actually go to the office. But we here. Man, this I'm not going to lie. This has been a, a stressful week for me. <laughs> uh, definitely a stressful week for me. Um, it's certain things that I don't divulge about uh, my life because I like to keep certain things private. I feel as though certain things are, uh, should be kept private because they are um, they hold a certain intimacy to them. Um, 
and you know, it's just not for everybody business. And I know some people saying, well, you share stuff all the time about, you know, uh, your your past struggles with uh, depression and anxiety and stuff. Yeah, I do. But I only do that to help other people, you know, to help other people and to help myself. You know, other things that go on in my life, I like to keep private because I feel as though, you know, I like to keep some some form of purity to it, you know, keep the the intimacy of it sacred but um here's something that I will share because uh one thing that I was reminded of last week was that one of my biggest superpowers is my vulnerability and that's what you know when I've had speaking engagements and with my blog and with the podcast and stuff like that um it has helped a lot of people and a lot of I've been able to the path of my life has been been much more easier and and freer I've been able to make a lot of connections and you know help people and you know uh grow within myself and stuff because of my vulnerability so this is one thing I will share about my personal life um Last week, um, March 9th, this is a day that I will never forget now um, because March 9th is uh, Biggie's birthday. You know, some things tend to uh, be absent from our minds, but this is one thing I'll never forget is um, I had to put my dog down on March 9th. Uh, That was a Tuesday. And... I ain't gonna lie, it hurt me. Um, I've had plenty of family members pass in my life. All of my grandparents have have passed, other uh, family members have passed. I've had friends that passed and stuff like that. But in my life, I've only been close to the people that have passed, out of all the people that have passed in my life, the only people that I've actually had like close relationships with were my dogs, my literal pet dogs. I've had three dogs in my life, and all three of them have passed passed away. And one of them was uh, put down uh, March 9th. And I'm not going to lie, that shit hurt. Um, it, it hurt. It's not, it's not even two weeks old right now, and it really did hurt. Um, I'm kind of surprised at how much it it hurt and, and how it has affected me emotionally. Um, one of the things that I can say about um, him is that he always gave unconditional love, no matter um, what the situation is, no matter how my mood was during the day. He was he always gave me unconditional love. And that's that's one thing that is beautiful about dogs. I mean, this is I'm speaking just based off of my experience. I've only had dogs. I've never had cats or anything like that. But just speaking off of my experience of having dogs as pets, they always give you unconditional love no matter what. And out of the three dogs that I've had over my lifetime, I've had close relationships with. Despite, you know, when I've tried to um, 
<laughs> how can I say it? Um, not get close to them. Um, and that's based off of, you know, um, the things that I have struggled with in in my life of uh, self-abandonment, uh, self-rejection. So automatically, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I was sort of used to pushing people away and, and trying not to get close to them. And, you know, the passing of, of your pet, um, your dog is, that's how it feels, at least to me, you know, and one of the things that I see it as is, you know, when you have a pet, they're essentially, especially when you're, when you're grown, um, like I would consider him as being my child, you know, I have no children, uh, right now, but he was considered my child, so you think about how they always say a a child, well, they say a parent should never um, bury their child. And this was sort of similar to that. You know, I know a lot of people that have pets or don't have pets look at it, you know, like people be tripping when they they treat their their pets like children or whatever. But in, in certain cases, it's, I mean, it's like that. And I'm... Like I said, I'm not going to lie, it, it hurt. It hurt me um him being put down. He was he was sick. Uh he was diagnosed with uh heart failure last year and I mean, I felt as though that I had more time with him. He was on medication and stuff like that, but it's it's it progressed real fast. Like over in a matter of weeks in a in like a week it progressed really fast and it was to the point where I knew it was time. I knew I knew that he didn't have much time. And yeah, it hurt. And I'm not going I'm I'm not going to lie. I cried. I've had I had difficult days and I've, you know, had my regular days. Right now I'm sitting in the basement where I record uh my quote-unquote man cave and this is where me and him spent most of our time together. You know, I would come down here and and watch movies and chill and relax and stuff, and he would be down here with me. Um, so it, it was, it's definitely been difficult to come down here at certain times. Um, I still wake up in the morning and and I'm stuck in the routine of I have to take him outside, you know, I have to feed him during this time. I have to, you know, when I log off, this is when I usually take him out. So I still be stuck in that mind frame at times. And even, you know, I be in the house and I hear him. I hear him barking, I hear him crying or or whatever. So yeah. That's my vulnerable moment uh for this episode. Um it has been very difficult um at times. Uh it feel like it's been longer than than what it's been, but it hasn't even been 2 weeks. It will be officially 2 weeks this Tuesday. So um yeah. What I'm drinking, uh, I'm drinking the Larceny whiskey and finishing that bottle off before, excuse me, first burp. Of course, when I start talking about the alcohol, that's when I start burping. But before I got over here, um, like I said, I was at my parents' house, so I was having dinner, and I was drinking. I had two uh, cups of 
some cinnamon Jack Daniels whiskey. And that's what my, my mom likes. So I had two glasses of that, two cups of that. And um, I'm not smoking a cigar tonight. I'm actually smoking a um, an herbal tea blend. And I found uh, this black business on Instagram. It's called The Flower Plug. Plug with two Gs on Instagram, The Flower Plug. And the website is theflowerplug.com and plug with two Gs. And the herbal tea blend that I was smoking is called All That Pre-Roll. And in it, it has moulin, rose, raspberry leaf, and St. John's wort. And I've, I have ordered from that, that black business a couple of times already. And it's five pre-rolls that come in the pack. And I use, she has three different, um, three different uh, types. And the times that I have ordered from there, I, I've always ordered all three. So I was smoking the all that pre-roll. And I finished that before... Um, I started recording. No cigar tonight. But um, let's get into the show. So, I want to thank everybody uh, who listened to last show, everybody who shared it, everybody that hit me up. Um, thank you for all of the, you know, for all of the feedback and everything. Um, the feedback is always welcome, whether... It's positive or, you know, it's perceived as negative is is welcome because, you know, I'm cool with all all feedback when it comes to my show. Um, update from last show. So apparently, you know, I talked about Megan Mark Markle um, on the last show in the interview that she did with Oprah Winfrey. So it it has been reported that she is eyeing a bid for the White House, and she has been talking to top Democrats. That has been the report, you know. So I thought that was interesting, you know. So when once I saw it, you know, the what came to my mind was, you know, it's always an an agenda around things, you know. So who knows? We will see. The next uh, presidential election is 2024, so we w- we shall see. <laughs> um, I've been meaning to um, review the Coming to America movie, and I kept forgetting to do it. <laughs> so um, I was reminded to do it, so now I'm going to uh, talk about it. I thought the movie was uh good. I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I didn't think it was bad. And I think the only reason that I didn't think it was bad because I I set my mind up to to not compare it to the original one. Um although I thought it was pretty good, it did have its, you know, I did have some criticisms about it. Um I thought the acting of the guy that was playing Eddie Murphy's son wasn't that good. I didn't think it was that good. Um, another thing 
that I noticed was that you can tell that they filmed on a a lot. You can tell that they didn't film on, you know, on the regular streets like they did with the first coming to America. You can tell that they they was on a sound stage or a lot or whatever. And also, um, which goes into, you know, what I just talked about is it it didn't have the same realism as the first one did. You know, it just looked it looked a little playish. It looked like it was a little playish, like it was on a stage, so it didn't have that realism to it. Um, but overall, I thought it was good. I thought it was funny. Um, it was it was kind of like a as I'm gonna describe it, a cheap front, cheap funny. Um, what else? I think that's it. I mean, that's the only thing that's coming to mind right now. I didn't necessarily write anything down. Um, but, yeah, I thought it, overall it was good. I mean, like I said, I, I didn't compare it. I was already – I had already had it in my mind that I wasn't comparing it to the first one. So I know I saw a lot of people on social media doing that. So I think that's where a lot of people was getting hung up at. You know, they was comparing it to the first one. And if anybody knows when you watch movie – is you have to be very careful with uh comparing a sequel to the original because it's 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 not too many sequels that were better than the original. There are some, but um yeah, this this wasn't one. But overall I thought it was it was pretty good, you know. And just me being the age that I am and, and you know seeing coming to America when I was younger, having that nostalgia of seeing some of the old characters and stuff like that and then make references to the old movie was a was a fun thing. Take a sip. Oh man. So like I said, I was kind of stressed uh this week, basically the past two weeks. Com uh for one, because, you know, I had to put uh, my dog down, my dog uh, Rocco, uh, rest in peace to Rocco. Um, but another reason why I was stressed was, okay, I already had plans about certain things that I was doing around my house. I've been in my house for like nine years, and there's certain things that I already had planned. And particularly one of the areas that I've been focusing on is uh, my basement, my man cave. So I've, over the past two years, I've done a lot down here, buying furniture. Uh, uh, even a few years ago, like I painted, I had a, a I painted the room, um, and just having a different type of vibe down here. You know, I got my pool table down here. I haven't played it in a while, but one of the things that I planned to do was to get a TV because I, I was using a projector down here. But with the projector, you always have to have the lights off. And and I didn't have my projector hung on the wall. I had it sitting on my pool table. And I thought about hanging the projector up, but then I was still wrestling in my mind about, you know, always having to have the light off just to to see the the screen with the projector and stuff like that. So I was saying to myself, you know, I'm going to get a TV down here. Already had the sound bar and stuff down here. So I was like, if I get a TV down here, I can get the projector off the pool table and, you know, I can start getting into pool again. You know, 
um, enhancing the vibe down here because my basement is a vibe. I, that's one thing I'm I'm very proud of what I've done down in this basement. Like, and it it sucks because I feel as though um, I'm gonna be moving soon. I just feel it. I feel it in my bones that I'm gonna be moving soon. I'm gonna be moving into a different house <laughs> soon. So, but it's it's all good, you know. I just make the other basement a vibe. But you know, I've I've been uh in this house for nine years. I I first uh, bought it back in 2012, January 5th, 2012. So I've been here nine years. Um, yeah, I love I love the house. This is pretty much the, the first time I've been on my own because um, I've talked about it before how, you know, uh, I was living with my parents through the whole time I was in college as well as, you know, after college, you know, saving up money to purchase a house. So I'm thankful for my parents to allow me to do that because, you know, a lot of uh, black parents won't <laughs> let you do that. So I'm very, you know, grateful for them. Um, I've been here nine years, moved in here when I was 30 years old. I'm 39 right now. So I love the house. I love the blessing of it. It has this, it it has had its struggles. You know, anybody who's a homeowner out there, y'all know that being a homeowner can be very fucking stressful <laughs> sometimes, particularly when you living alone and it's only one income. But and you know, the grace of God, I've I've weathered the storms that I've had since I've lived here. And one advice that I would give to any homeowner homeowner, whether you have a brand new house or you have a older house, or you have an older house that was remodeled, get a home warranty. That home warranty will save you a lot of stress when it comes to repairs. Because the only thing that you will have to worry about is paying a small deductible as opposed to paying thousands of dollars to get certain things fixed. And I've had situations where those home warranties have saved me from <laughs> spending lots of money that I had that I didn't want to spend and money that I had that I didn't have and I couldn't spend. So, man, thank you, God. <laughs> oh, man. But, um... Yeah, back to me being stressed. So, like I said, I was, you know, trying to enhance the, the vibe down here in the basement. So I was like, I'm going to get the projector off the pool table so I can start playing pool more. So I can get into pool more because I used to be real good when I was younger. Hey, the pool table that's in this basement right now is a pool table that I grew up with in my parents' house. Literally the same pool table. And I haven't played on it in, in years. So... I was like, I'm going to get a TV, get the uh, projector off, and, you know, get back into playing pool. And just to have it so, you know, guests can come in and play pool. Um, so got, bought the TV, already had the soundbar and stuff. So had a person in mind that I was going to get to put the TV up that I found on Instagram, was checking their workout and everything, looked good, all that. So contact them based off of how they say it, either call or text. So I decided to text and send, you know, pictures of what I wanted to get done, uh, the TV that I had, the room that I was working with, all of that. Person didn't respond. And, and my goal was to seek out black businesses. That was my goal. So no response. Waiting days and days and days, no response. 
So then I'm getting frustrated because, you know, I'm trying to hurry up and get this done. Because even though, you know, I try my best, especially these days, to stay as peaceful and patient as I can, that that fire is still inside me to, you know, always have to control things and have it, you know, have things go my way. <laughs> so things wasn't going my way with this TV to get the, the uh, person to come out to put the TV up. So finally, you know, um, one of my friends uh, sent me another Instagram page of somebody who do it. Hit them up. They responded right away. I was like, bet. I was like, okay, cool. So send them the same pictures and everything. They gave me the estimate, you know, their prices and stuff like that. I was like, damn, that's, you know, a little cheaper than what the other person was. So Saturday come, which was yesterday. They were supposed to come over, put the TV up and stuff. Um, and mind you, uh, Friday, I had hit the, the first person up think it was, yeah, I hit the first person up like early in the week. I think it was on Tuesday. Didn't hear from them. I heard from them on Friday. So I didn't respond to them on Friday because I was like, let me see what this other person going to do on Saturday. So I'm sitting waiting Saturday. He gave me a time after I asked him, even though he said he was just going to come, he's available during the PM time. I had to ask him for a time. <laughs> So he said he was going to come. I was getting the TV put up, sound bar, and getting a, a ring doorbell installed on my house because I just got my siding done. So he said between 3 and 3.30. 3, 3 o'clock came. No word. I was like, cool. He said 3.30. Two. So 3.30 came. No word. So I'm sitting here thinking. And then it was like an hour before all of that, I had texted him and told him, you know, in my neighborhood, this is where the visitor parking is. He didn't respond. And mind you, he had texted me earlier that morning and and was like, I'm just confirming our appointment for today. So I responded and was like, confirmed. 3.30 pass, no word. 4 o'clock pass, no word. 4.30 come, he finally hit me up and was like, I'm on my way, running behind. So I'm already irritated, pissed and stuff like that. And it's a, it's a combination of him as well as the other business. And I ain't even got to another part of, of this whole story yet. So he gets here, you know, finally puts the TV up, sound bar up, cool, ring doorbell up, all that good. So then I get a text message that's that same day, Saturday, from another contractor that I had hit up the week before last up about fixing a light fixture that was that's in one of my guest bedrooms. My, and mind you, even before he hit me up, I had went on his website and filled out the little form or whatever to get an appointment. They sent me a confirmation text back and all that. The day that they were supposed to come was last week when this week that just passed Wednesday, I get a text that morning from the company saying that we coming, you know, just a reminder that we coming at 10 o'clock Wednesday to, you know, give you an estimate and look at your, you know, your light and all that other stuff. They never fucking showed up. 
Never fucking showed up. So I'm just brushing it off. I'm like, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'll just find somebody else to do it. I'm, I'm, that, that sealed it for me. I'm, I'm done. You didn't, you didn't even show up and call or whatever. Around, um, I think it was like 7.30, 8 o'clock. Yeah, it was like 7.30 that night, Wednesday night. I get a phone call. Normally, I don't answer phone calls that I don't, phone numbers that I don't know. Some told me to answer the phone. Answer the phone, it's the guy from the company was saying, yeah, um, can you explain to me what the the uh, the issue is with the light or whatever? I explained to him. He was like, all right, send me pictures. I was like, all right, whatever. You know, since since he called, I'll send him the pictures. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Send him the pictures. I ain't hear from him at all. I didn't hear from him until fucking Friday. This was Wednesday. I ain't hear from him until Friday. No matter of fact, it was Saturday. Saturday morning, the same day that the dude that was coming to put my TV and stuff up. And he was like, good morning, sir. Um, the estimate for your such and such will be $150 and more if, you know, there has to be more work done like that. So I'm sitting there looking at that text message. And I'm like, man, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, do niggas not want to get money? Because I'm I'm confused why it takes so long to respond to somebody who is saying that they want to get work done. It's not they asking for estimates. I literally saying I want it. I'm choosing. I'm already saying I'm choosing you to get this work done, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, all you have to do is send an acknowledgement email. You don't even have to say anything as far as price or anything like that. Just say, I'm in receipt of your, your text message or your email. I will get back to you such and such. And I'm like, I, I hate the stigma and the stereotype around black businesses because all black businesses isn't like this because I, I give my money to other black businesses that I don't have these problems with. But I having these particular problems with these two black businesses. And it's like, I just don't understand. Like, niggas don't want money. And, and I'm sitting here like, communication is like the biggest thing when it comes to business. Just communicate. Just communicate. Like, your work, your work or your service can be phenomenal. But if your communication... And, which is customer service, is trash, nobody don't want to deal with you. If your work is average or above average and you got great customer service, then people going to want to give you their business because you, you give them a, a good feeling, you know? It's like a euphoric feeling based off of your, your customer service. But anyway, I got the TV up, got the sound bar, got the uh, uh, ring doorbell up. My light still um, needs to be fixed. So, funny thing, I talked to the dude, the original dude that I wanted to come uh, put my TV and stuff up. I talked to him today, and he's supposed to come this week to look at the light, because he does that too. He's supposed to come look at the light, and then I'm going to have him look at the, the TV installation as well, because I don't feel too comfortable about how the dude that did it Saturday did his work, you know? Because it just, something about it wasn't professional. <laughs> and the dude that I originally want, he does great 
work, great fucking work. But it's like communication is just old. And it's like when I was at my when I was getting my hair cut Thursday, I was with my barber, and my barber was telling me he was like, um, he hit his barber up Monday of the week that just passed, and he was like, he was trying to get a haircut. His barber was like, I'm driving right now. I'll call you back. He's, this was Thursday. I was sitting in his chair getting a haircut. My barber said his barber ain't hit him back yet. And he said he had to tell his barber a few times that he like, your customer service sucks. And me and him was sitting there talking like, we don't understand how black business, certain black businesses, you know, they do great work, but they just the the communication and customer service just fucking sucks. And it's like they don't want money, they don't have any type of motivational determination to to stay professional and stuff like that. So I kind of felt like, you know, me having that conversation with him was kind of getting me prepared for all of this shit because like even though the TV and stuff is up, I'm still dealing with it. You know, I it ain't over till it's over, till it's officially over. So I got to go through another week of this bullshit. So, and honestly, I haven't been, I haven't meditated in like a week. So I, this was the bad, this was a bad moment for me to, you know, to to be slacking and to stop meditating because of all this shit going on. Like I'm, I'm heated and I'm irritated or whatever. I've been kind of like, <laughs> treading on thin nights with my <laughs> with my my temper and stuff <laughs> with dealing with uh black businesses and stuff so i'm saying all that to say is if you're a black business and you listening to me man your customer service is key communication is fucking key come on now get that shit together seriously it's it's, it's time to stop fucking playing around and stop trying to look good for the gram or whatever because you got a business. Keep your business together. You know, shit, fuck <laughs> fuck it. Oh, man. <sighs> Speaking of TVs, <laughs> um, the, Win- the Falcon and Winter Soldier uh, Marvel series uh, started Friday that just passed, and it started out pretty good. I'm, you know... Uh, the first episode was real good, and I'm looking forward to the next episodes. This was supposed to be like a big week for comic book fans, uh, cause the first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier came out, as well as the uh Justice League, Justice League Snyder Cut came out, and I watched that, and it was a four hour movie, but it was good. It was definitely good. It was definitely better than the the other Justice League that came out in the theaters and stuff. It was very good. Even though it was four hours, I saw a lot of people on uh, social media complaining about how long it was. And I'm sitting there thinking, y'all know y'all asses done sat down in front of the TV and watched four hours, binge watched four hours of some show or something before. So stop complaining. (laughs) I swear, man, social media, you can be on social media and pick up people's energy it just like a collective energy, you see people complaining about the same damn thing. So you, if you're not strong enough, you know, you'll pick up that same. And 
Hold on, let me back up. I ain't going to say strong enough because even if, if you're strong enough, you can still be susceptible to collective energy. But, you know, just getting caught up in, it's, you know, it's, it's not difficult to get caught up into collective energy. So, you know, the Snyder Cut was good. Anybody who ain't seen it yet that want to see it, just sit down and watch it. You've been wa binge watched the show before for four, for, uh, four hours. Um, so just sit down and watch it and shut up. <laughs> But um, another thing that I just finished watching this week that I was watching over the uh, past couple of weeks was the uh, Woody Allen doc documentary um, or docu-series that was on HBO. Man, how the fuck is this nigga Willy, Woody Allen still walking around in the streets? Particularly, the, you know, the fact that fucking Bill Cosby is in jail and Woody Allen is walking around, you know, like it ain't nothing. After these uh, child rape allegations and stuff like that. And if anybody don't know, he's married to uh, one of his adopted kids. One of the kids that his wife, Mia Farrow, adopted before, you know, they got into a relationship with, with each other. Um, at the time when he married, I believe she was like 19 years old or something like that. But... I encourage everybody to watch the docu-series. It's only four episodes, so that's four hours right there. See what I'm saying? That's four hours right there. So watch that, Joan. It's wild. You know, um, I don't understand how the fuck this nigga is still fucking walking around. That's that white privilege for you right there when these bammers be out here, these, particularly in Hollywood, these uh, guys with these rape allegations, whether it's with grown women or with children. But, yeah, it's crazy. Kanye West. Kanye West. It has been reported that he is worth $6.6 billion. And it says uh, more than half of it is thanks to his Yeezy brand. Um... The interesting thing about the report is it's not something that's set in stone. He he actually isn't worth six point six billion dollars right now. This is like a projected um amount that is being reported based off of his deal with uh the gap and his uh Yeezy sneaker brand. So Kudos to Kanye, you know, um, I've talked about capitalism before, you know, and all that, um, talked about what black people should be doing for their community, particularly celebrities and stuff like that, that be talking that, talking that bullshit, but kudos, still, kudos to Kanye, you know, because people always been going on Kanye, always been questioning him because of his mental health and all that other stuff, but Kanye has been out here doing his thing. I mean, and it's 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 always funny when people question other people, celebrities, regular people, you know, just throughout society, how people always question and criticize people who are always going against um the norm. You know, they're not being followers or they're speaking against the system and stuff like that. Shout out to all those people. And that's including me. So shout out to me as well. Fuck that. Shout out to me. Because 
people will try to shame you and make you feel like you just off your rockers just because you're not doing the norm. You know, you're not conforming to the world. And this is not to say that Kanye hasn't done questionable things, <laughs> um, but still, you know, overall Kanye has, lately Kanye has been, you know, bucking the system, you know. So kudos to him for all of this. However it works out for him, you know, that's a good thing. Where I'm going next. I'm just going through this outline. Cardi B. Cardi B. Um, I didn't watch the Grammys, but um, she performed on the Grammys, her and uh, Megan. They performed together, and they got backlash for their, their Grammy performance. Uh, a lot of people complain uh, to the FCC uh, that they received like 80 plus complaints about their performance. And it said, you know, people were saying like they, their performance looked like a, a strip club and stuff. And they was complaining about the humping and the grinding and stuff like that. And their outfits was too revealing. revealing. Um And she got into it with uh, Candace Owens. Um, if you don't know who Candace Owens is, uh, look her up. Um, she was a correspondent on Fox Fox News, a Republican, Trump supporter, all that, that good stuff. Um, but, yeah, they was going back and forth on on uh, social media and stuff. Uh, you know, Candace Owens was criticizing the performance as well and saying how you know, um, it's not a good look for black people and stuff like that. And honestly, I agree with what Candace Owens say. You know, granted, you know, you can do whatever you want. Um, you're an adult. But I, I find it interesting that, you know, it was a particular video that came out with Cardi B. She was playing uh, her song, WAP. Um in her house, and as soon as her daughter ran in the room, she hurried up and turned it off. And it's like, it's easy for you to turn it off, turn off the quote-unquote inappropriate music in front of your kids, but it's okay to, you know, make money off of it. I've talked about this before, how, you know, uh, a few episodes ago, um, about how, you know, certain uh women complain about uh misogyny and stuff like that in the music industry and stuff or just period fuck it period but they feel as though that they're taking back their power by perpetuating that same you know stigma that's out there about so it's just it's just weird i mean like I said, I know these arguments are gonna go on forever. <laughs> so but I just find it interesting. I had to mention it. But um <laughs> one thing I saw on social media, somebody was saying like uh somebody had tweeted and was like, you, you know, they all on TV bragging about their their vaginas and stuff like that and their their WAP and all that other stuff. They that same that same wop and that same vagina left them 
quote unquote shot and cheated on, specifically, you know, commenting on Cardi B and um Megan, Megan the Stallion. So I mean, the tweet was funny, but I agree with it. I mean, that's why I'm saying like you complain about misogyny and stuff like that, but then you perpetuating it. But then you get mad at what comes with it with, you know, guys, tr- you know, ho- trying to holler at you a certain way, uh, speaking to you a certain way, looking at you a certain way. So it's like it's a catch 22. Like. And I'll like I've said before, I feel like women, women have the power, um, you know, women have the power. So if they just want to just straight start dressing like nuns or whatever, dudes just going to have to accept it. And I'm not saying that's what, what you know, women should do. You can do whatever you want, dress however you want. But just don't – I just feel like there's a thin line between the attention that you want to get and the attention that you want to get and how how that attention is, is, is being uh, pulled – pull to you so and I, and I and i'm not sitting here saying you know if you if you dress a certain way then that a, you know the certain type of attention is warranted to you but i'm just saying you should that a certain attention that you should probably expect if you are aware of how society is and the misogyny you know that comes with with certain things with men and women so yeah one thing i found interesting that um has to do with all of this was Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood. They put out a tweet that says, shout out to the iconic black women using the power of pleasure as a form of resistance. And they was speaking about <laughs> Meg the Stallion, talking about her Savage remix. They tweeted this. And I find it interesting that Planned Parenthood would tweet something like that um, if you don't know the history of Planned Parenthood, uh, the woman who uh, started Planned Parenthood, her name is escaping me right now, and I don't really feel like looking it up. Um, the whole point of Planned Parenthood when it came to the black community was to make sure that black women didn't have kids, eugenics. So, um, yeah. So I find it interesting that they even trying to promote the, what they're promoting. Shout out to the iconic black women using the power of pleasure as a form of resistance. I mean, this is what I'm talking about right here. The fact that, you know, women, certain women feel as though they're taking their power back. But still perpetuating the misogynistic aspect of the overly sexualized society that we live in, you know. Just interesting. I just found that interesting. What's next on my list? Um, so Maria Rice, Tamir Rice's mom, she came out and criticized um, Black Lives Matter as well as Tamika Mallory, Sean King, and Benjamin Crump. She came out recently and uh, criticized all of them for... And this ties into the Grammys, actually, um, when Tamika Mallory was on stage with uh, Lil Baby. Um, 
And I guess he was, I didn't watch it. I guess he was doing a performance um, that was supposed to have been, um, I don't know how to describe it, um, anti-police or to talk about the um, hate against black people. I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know how to describe it because it's like it's all symbolism to me. So it's hard for me to really describe what what he was doing. Um, people was all talking about how powerful a performance it was and stuff like that. But I just look at it like it's all symbolism. You know, what is it doing to change anything? I feel like if you're in a position to really do some, some type of change, but, I mean, just, I don't know. I'm always stumped by these 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 symbolism situations. I mean, I talked about it in episode from last season called Now What? Um, talk about the symbolism with the Black Lives Matter being painted on the ground uh, 20 minutes away from my house and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, it's all symbolism because it's like we, the black community, we always get symbolism, but we don't get no real no real legislation, no reparations or nothing. We just get symbolism. That's all the fuck we get. <laughs> but um Samaria Rice, she was um criticizing Black Lives Matter, Tamika Mallory, Benjamin Crump, uh Sean King and all of them. Um basically, you know, for them trying to seek fame, basically. And a lot of people agree with her. I mean, to a degree, you know, I agree with her as well. It's like this, um, what they what they was calling it. Um, let me see what they calling it. Uh, damn, where is it? Um, damn, that they calling it the activist to celebrity pipeline also known as the activist industrial complex, basically saying that, you know, um, these activists come out and their claim is that, you know, they're fighting for the community and stuff like that, but in turn, one, they're, they're seeking fame, or once that fame hits them, that's their priority. You know, they want to be in the spotlight and stuff. So, I mean, I, I, I essentially agree with it because I've questioned... Uh, Certain things I question Benjamin Crump a lot of times. To me, he seems like he's an ambulance chaser, honestly. You know, every time some situation happens when it comes to a a, a black person getting killed or something like that, you find Benjamin Crump popping up and he's getting a civil lawsuit for for a family or something like that. You know, it's just all about money. It's, it's like, even though I understand he's a, a civil attorney, you know, but... I'm just like, when are we going to start fighting to get these these people who's doing these crimes, these hate crimes against black people or the black community, get their ass in jail and stuff? But it's just like they always trying to put a price on these deaths or these lives, you know, and that's it. And one of uh, Samaria Rice's complaints was that, you know, um, 
these activists are basically, you know, riding the backs of these families, you know, just once these situations happen, then they pop up and, you know, they doing this work or whatever and they raising this money, but the money is not going to the people that it should be going. I've talked about it before, how the Black Lives Matter, um, a lot of the money that they've raised has gone to the Democrat Party. And we see what the Democrats are doing right now. They they not really fucking helping us. They don't they can give a fuck about us. They doing the same thing that they usually do. You know? You got the ambulance chasing attorneys, Ben Crump, Lee Merck, or whatever. That, I mean, that's what they're being called. <laughs> um She put out an official statement. It says, uh, official statement from Samaria Rice, mother of Tamir Rice, and Lisa Simpson, mother of Richard Reicher. Um, I hope I'm pronounced her last name right. Um, Tamika D. Mallory, Sean King, Benjamin Crump, Lee Merritt, Patrice Cullors, Melina Abdullah, and the Black Lives Matter Global Network need to step down, stand back, and stop monopolizing and capitalizing our fight for justice and human rights. We never hired them to be the representatives in the fight for justice for our dead loved ones murdered by the police. The, quote, activists, end quote, have events in our cities and have not given us anything substantial for using our loved ones' images and names on their flyers. The attorneys in our fight are also misleading the impacted families. In the case of Tamir Rice, it was even questionable as to whether Benjamin Crump knew the laws in depth in the state of Ohio. I fired him six to eight months into, into Tamir's case. We don't want or need y'all pandering in the streets, accumulating donations, platforms, movie deals, etc. off of the, the death of our loved ones, while the families and communities are left clueless, clueless and broken. Don't say our loved ones' names, period. That's our truth. And that was a statement from uh, Samir, Samaria Rice and Lisa Simpson. It's a terrible thing because, I mean, what she essentially saying is basically what it looks like they're doing. You know, they're, they're popping up. Um, and out of nowhere, when these situations happen, not working together with the family or anything, and making this money, getting these donations and stuff like that. And even at times when they when they have worked for the family, you have like Ben Crump and all of them and stuff, but the family is not receiving the full amount of those settlements that or those you know those uh civil lawsuit amounts that has been uh awarded to them. And you know Sean King, he came out and he was like in big uh, defense and support of um, Tamika uh, Mallory. And he wrote an article and everything. And I didn't read all of the article. I read some of it. Um, but th what I did read, it seemed as though that he was being very condescending of uh, Samaria Rice. And he was being... Um, he wasn't very compassionate to her feelings, and he was kind of dismissing her feelings toward everything. When it, and she's the one who actually lost a a child, you know. Um, but Sean King, he's always he's 
he's been controversial for a while. So, um, but it's 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 kind of like you know. I mean, it ain't even kind of like it. It is uh, the black, you know, the black trauma is 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 more marketable and profitable than you know us actually getting some type of change or some type of healing or liberation. You know, it's it's all about the money. That's what it seems like. You know, it's all about the money, or it's all about the fame, or you know, I. It, it reminds me of even with uh, mental health advocacy and how I've, I've talked about it before, how I see certain people just popping out of nowhere and it seems convenient for them to talk about their mental health and how they have been monetizing um, mental health for their benefits and stuff. You know, it's more it's more beneficial there. I ain't going to say more beneficial, but they're seeking more to, of the fame is. And, and stuff, you know, because I've, I've seen people on social media, particularly Instagram and stuff, and they call themselves Mr. Mental Health and stuff like that, or the hardest working man in, in, uh, in mental health and stuff like that. And I'm like, what the fuck does that have to do with helping people, you know? Um, who cares about that? People calling themselves the ditty of mental health. and the, I mean, like, I've actually seen shit like this, like... What the hell? I don't know. I mean, I understand, you know, for real, I understand people are human and, you know, it it feels good to get attention and stuff like that. It feels good to be in the limelight and stuff like that, to feel like you're accomplishing something. But what is really important to you? Is it the actually, you know, helping somebody or is it actually the fame or whatever? And it seems like people are getting off on that fame, you know, once they start rubbing, is it rubbing elbows or rubbing shoulders? I always get that confused. One of them, but, you know, they start getting in the same rooms with celebrities and stuff like that, or they getting a certain type of tension, you know. I mean, that shit is addictive. I mean, I know that. It's addictive. So, I mean... I get it, but I mean, I don't know. You just have to be more self-aware, and and, and it's like a lot of people out here will that follow you or you know get caught up into the same thing because they looking at you as a leader and stuff, you know. Because it's, I mean, it's not a lot of leaders out here in in the world. Is it really isn't? A lot of people are followers. I mean, the majority of the people in this world are followers, so. <sighs> yeah, but um, I saw an article that said like the Black Matters Foundation raised ninety million dollars in twenty twenty and gave almost a quarter of it to local chapters and organizations. That was on CNN. Um, I mean, yes, yeah, like I told you, they gave a lot of their money to the Democratic Party, and it's been speculated that the Black Lives Matter organization is a democratic or liberal, uh, a liberal organization, you know. And part of that article was, um, part of that article, it was a, um, I don't know if this was, 
if this graph was from that article, if it was from the Sean King, um, I believe I think this was from the Sean King jump. Um, let me see. Yeah, this was um. Yeah, this was from. I found I saw a graph of all the um work that Sean King has done uh has done the work that he's done to get donations and stuff for a lot of the advocacy work that he's he done and this this uh pie chart right here shows that twenty million dollars of it went to immigration um four percent of it. The immigration, which was twenty million dollars, sorry, which was over twenty million dollars, was sixty-five percent of all the donations that he he received. Four percent was personal tragedy. Six point six percent of it went to police brutality. Uh, Ten point five percent of it went to indigenous peoples. Two percent went to white supremacy. Um, 3.7% went to community outreach and 7.1% went to natural disasters. And that was all the, uh, work, work that he done to get donations for certain stuff. So you, you see, like, you would think if he was supposed to be an advocate for Black Lives Matter and all that other stuff, why all the money going to immigration and stuff? I mean, and that, and that shows you when I was talking about how, a lot of people speculate that the people who are invested in Black Lives Matter and the organization and stuff like that that it's a liberal it's a liberal uh it's a liberal organization or it was created for the liberals you know um like and even with me talking about uh black trauma being marketable I was watching uh, Black Lightning the other day. And that's a good show, Black Lightning, um, comic book show about a black superhero. It comes on the CW network. And the last episode that recently aired um, last Monday, it had a scene in it that was very similar to the Breonna Taylor situation. I'll say that it was 99.9% Breonna Taylor. They show black light. They show police officers breaking, busting up into an apartment building with a a black guy and a black girl, and the black guy having pulled his gun out and started shooting at the police officers, and the police shot back and killed the black girl. And Black Lightning came in and saved the day and all this other stuff. But they they showed that they show they showed the black girl getting killed first but then it's like they rewound they rewound it and then they showed it as though black lightning came in and and saved saved the girl and the guy before the police you know killed the girl the black girl so this is what i'm saying like this black trauma is being marketed it's being marketed in movies and tv shows and stuff like that that's why we always get these slave movies and stuff like that they want to keep us in this certain mind frame to always look at it like our lives are in danger or we just came or our history started from being enslaved you know it's never about us getting our minds right or you know getting the things that we do 
And that's why it always frustrates me when I hear people talk about some what, you know, black people need our, our reparations and then we'll be cool. <laughs> we ain't going to be cool even with reparations because we already have enough black people with money. You know, it's black people. It's a lot of black people out here with money. It's our mindset that's fucked up. Our mindset is fucked up. We've been programmed for too long. You know, that, that shit don't even matter. But yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm just pointing out some things that I've noticed and things that other people have noticed as well. <laughs> you know, we, 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 a lot of people, I ain't going to say we, because I know that we aren't being represented properly. But it's a lot of people out here that feel as though that we're being represented properly, but we're not. We're just being marketed to. We're being marketed to to think that we're being represented so we can stay in our place, so we can feel good. Starting with Obama, I mean, not even starting with Obama, but Obama being a specific example, and then recently Kamala, and then you have all the other, the first black people doing this and doing that or whatever. This shit is, is, is we're not being represented. We're being marketed to, you know, straight up. We're being marketed to. And perfect example. Let me find this, Joan. This this shit blew my mind right here. Uh, it, it really did blow my mind. Okay. One second. Um, Atlanta business leader becomes first black chair of United Negro College Fund. First, this is 2021, and it says, for the first time ever, an African-American will chair the United Negro College Fund Board of Directors. For the first time, 2021. Granted, I already knew the NAACP was started by a white man, but first time <laughs> that a, a black person is the board of directors, <laughs> directors it says earlier this month Atlanta's business and civic leader Milton H. Jones Jr. was elected to the post making him the first African-American to assume the role at the philanthropic oh my goodness I've been drinking <laughs> philanthropic phil <laughs> the organization which was founded in 1944 it says, Jones, a founding member of Peachtree Providence Partners Holding Company, LOC, who has been a member of the board for almost two decades, previously served as vice chairman of the board, as well as chairman of the finance committee. Since 1944, United Negro College Fund has played an integral role in changing the life trajectory for each student it has served. And I look forward to continuing that legacy. That was his statement. This shit blew, I mean, honestly, it, it blew my mind. The philanthropic organization, first African-American board, chair, board of, of the board of directors. <laughs> I didn't, if somebody would have just walked up to me on the street and said that, I would have been like, you lying. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It is true. This is shit is wild. Oh, man. It's crazy. 
All right, moving on. Um, I'm gonna just make this note real quick, and I'll move on to the next topic. Deshaun Watson, if if you don't know, he's the quarterback of the Houston Texans, black quarterback. Um, he's had, uh, I think, right now it's about three, three. It's between three and five uh, allegations of sexual assault um, against him. And the media has been covering it like crazy, particularly the sports media. Um, and I've mentioned this other name that I'm about to say right now before. Chad Wheeler, the white guy. Deshaun Watson is black, by the way. Black quarterback. Chad Wheeler, the white dude that beat up his black girlfriend to the point where after he beat her, he went and go eight. He went and go eight. He went to go eat some cereal, and was shocked when she got up to and said to her, "Oh, I'm surprised you're still alive." No media coverage. People had to. It took like I think it was like almost four or five days before the media started picking up the coverage of it. And that was because people started complaining them. You know about it not being being um, covered. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Just a uh, just another another um, example of the double standard, the white privilege that's that's in this world that we have to deal with. <sighs> yeah. Oh yeah. Like I said, Ben Crump has it. I'm going through my my stuff and Ben Crump just popping up. Uh, ben Crump now is representing um, Nicki Minaj's mother. Um, Nicki Minaj's mother f- is filing a civil lawsuit uh, for the person who hit um, Nicki Minaj's father. Um, it was a hit and run, killed Nicki Minaj's father. Now Ben Crump is working to get he filed a lawsuit for 150 million dollars for the hit and run death of Robert Mirage, which is Nicki Minaj's father. So I mean this that's what I'm saying. It's like he's like an ambulance chaser. All right, where am I going next? All right. I'm going to play a clip for y'all. Play a clip and start off this next topic. Religious, man. I'm a very spiritual man. I do believe Jesus died for my sins. I don't call myself religious because I've seen folk who's supposed to be religious be some of those hypocritical motherfuckers I've ever seen in my life. You're going to be saved, be saved every goddamn day. And like all y'all, I love Kirk Franklin, but that ain't gospel cursing. Kirk, Kirk going to fuck around and cuss one day, ain't he? <laughs> Put your motherfucker on. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For, for the Lord, I sing because I'm happy. <laughs> Motherfucker, you sing the sell records. The Lord don't need no remix. <laughs> well, we got Kirk, Kirk Franklin cussing. <laughs> Anybody that don't know, um, Kirk Franklin's son released audio of him and his father, Kirk Franklin, arguing. And um, Kirk Franklin was on there cussing and threatening his son, 33-year-old son. And, yeah, I mean, Kirk Franklin has other instances where he's been uh, out in the public um, with some sort of, quote-unquote, scandal. 
Um, you remember back in the day when um, he was talking about his love for porn. He had a porn addiction and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, uh, his son has been getting a lot of backlash about recording that that uh, phone conversation um, and people talking about, you know, he's 33 years old and all this other stuff, why he's acting the way he's acting. You know, he's acting like a child, a baby, and all this other stuff. Um, I do, um, I can see how people can see that uh, the son is entitled, and um, I agree with that. But but I also look at it as though, um, and, and of course, yeah, you shouldn't uh, disrespect your parents and all that other stuff. Um, but I think there's something that needs to be discussed when it comes to a conversation that needs to be brought out into the open based off of this situation, particularly when it comes to the black community and the dynamic of black parents and their children, as well as black folk in the church. And, you know, people coming out talking about some his son, 33 years old, why he doing this, why he acting like a child and stuff like that. That's a problem. I feel as though it's a problem because no matter what, he's still, no matter if he's 33 years old, he's still Kirk Franklin's child. He still looks at his father as a superior, as a parent, you know, somebody over him, you know. And although he may be spoiled and entitled, his feelings should still be looked at as valid. And granted, before I start going to therapy, I ain't going to lie. Before I start going to therapy, I'd have been on the same page as, as a lot of people when it comes to his son or whatever. Like, why that nigga, you know what I'm saying? Why he, why he um, recording the phone conversation? Why he acting like this? Why he acting soft or whatever? He's 33 years old. He shouldn't be worried about all this other stuff. But since I started going to therapy, I started understanding more about feelings and the dynamic of your relationship with your parents and your inner child and how that translates to you being an adult and, you know, having relationships with other people, whether they're platonic relationships, romantic relationships, friendships, uh, work relationships, whatever. All that shit is, you know what I'm saying, all that ties in everything that we deal with as an adult was built from our relationship with our parents. It just is. And that's fine that, you know, uh, the son had a privileged life based off of Kirk Franklin having money and stuff like that. But that don't necessarily mean Kirk Franklin was there for him emotionally. That don't mean that the child, the dude's mother was there for him emotionally as well. You can have all the money in the world, if you're not there for a person emotionally, what does that matter? I mean, even outside of a parent-child relationship, romantic relationship, you see it all the time with these celebrities that are being worshipped. You know, they live in the good life, you know, cars, money, houses, clubs, all that, you know, just living the good life. But what does that money mean when somebody is being cheated on or somebody is being neglected and stuff like that? That shit don't mean nothing. And that goes, I mean, like I said, it 
it, it speaks to a larger conversation we need to be having in the black community when it comes to the relationship with um, the parents and the children, you know. All day long, you have an example, like growing up, you have an example living in a black ho household or whatever, and you you getting in trouble or something like that, you getting a whooping or a beating or whatever, and your parents say to you, do you want me to give you something to cry about? You know, that's, that's a, I mean, I know a lot of people are not going to agree with me and not going to be open-minded enough to see it. That's a, that's, that's, and <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> I mean, that's that's abuse. I mean, let's be straight up. That's abuse. It's straight up abuse. And then they wonder why their kids are depressed or their kids are shut off or their kids are angry and stuff like that. You know, a lot of times in the in black households, emotions and feelings and stuff aren't catered to. Particularly when it comes to to black males. Everything got to be about being tough. Everything got to be about being tough. I mean, I was over at my parents' house and watching my wife and kids, and um, one of the episodes um, when Junior had got the uh, the girl pregnant and the girl's father, they was uh, at the doctor's office to get the uh, sonogram, and everybody in the room was getting emotional and stuff. And the girl's father, and if you remember, he was like a big muscular dude. I forgot what his character's name was on the show. But he said to to his wife, he was like, I know you ain't getting emotional over there. And she she hurried up and, and you know, bucked up and got herself together. And was like, you right, you right, you right. I ain't supposed to be getting emotional. And then when um <laughs> when when Damon Waynes was getting emotional and uh Junior was getting emotional. The other father was like, I know those ain't no man emotions over there. Like, this is this is something that, like, black men have to deal with all the time. And it's like, that's why I went last episode I was talking about how women, in one instance, black women want us to get therapy. Then the other time, then on the other hand, they, they got a problem when we're growing or changing or whatever. And granted, I pointed out that certain... Certain dudes do use that to their advantage to still manipulate, but still, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's like a no-win situation when it comes to being a child in a black household. Let's be honest. There is abuse. <laughs> there is abuse. I mean, this is why certain in the black household, the children don't disclose any type of information to their parents or whatever. There's no closest relationships at all. They don't want to talk to them. You'll have your, you know what I'm saying, you'll have your you'll have your um certain instances where some children are close with their parents and disclose everything. But most of the time those households be shut off. There's really no communication. Because it's like everybody is on guard in the household. And then the children got to walk around like they walking on eggshells. And this this is the this is the the cycle. This is the toxic cycle, the change that need to be broken. And and like I've said plenty of times, all this stuff is start from the moment that 
we were enslaved. This is that Willie Lynch syndrome where we, we're still fighting demons from each generation. We're fighting demons from each generation. I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> I mean, I know everybody heard that when they was getting a whooping before. You actually getting beat and you're crying and they they saying to you, I'm gonna give you something to cry about. And and this is what I'm talking about. Like the the black family as well as the the black church is they they be running kind of like parallel with kind of like keeping things in house and and keeping stuff quiet, whether it be abuse, of uh child abuse, emotional abuse, all that. Your your parents they they don't want you going to school telling your teachers and stuff how you being disciplined and all that other stuff. This is you know what I'm saying? This is this can this conversation, this this is a larger conversation. This ain't something that I can just, you know, mention here real quick and then it just be over with. Honestly. Once you hear this, if you not agreeing with me, open your mind and just sit there and think about it. Like I've had conversations with therapists about the abuse that goes on in black families that we don't discuss, the emotional abuse that, that goes on. It it don't even be physical all the time. It it be largely emotional abuse. Yeah. But that's how it is. Let me uh begin to I got one more one more topic, one more topic to uh go through. And we can end the episode. All right, let me pull up this clip. Should be the next president of the United States. Yes. All right, Jay, it's for time to show these people what white power is all about. You better put your hood on, Clayton. All right. Might want to might want to hide your identity to be safer. You know, in case some radical and sympathetic of the cause wants to shoot you. That's yeah, good thinking. All right. Okay. Here, let me get that. Who made us proud to be white? Yeah. None other than Clayton Bigsby. That's it. as well. Let's talk about Chinese people with their kung fu and all that silly chang chang chong talk. I can't understand you. Go back to your country, white power. Mr. Big B was also critical of the entertainment industry. Don't let the liberal media tell you how to think and feel. If you have hate in your heart, let it out. If you don't like Will and Grace, that don't mean there's something wrong with you. It means there's something wrong with Will. He's homosexual. Politicians weren't spared either. White power. <laughs> Colin Powell. 
Part of language rice. Part of language rice. Sounds like a Mexican dish. Maybe we should put her on a plate and send her to Mexico so the Mexicans will eat her. Just open up your heart and let that hate out. Open up your heart and let the hate out. Well, the hate has been let out as if it wasn't already out. But, you know, let me uh, say this quote by Stokely Carmichael. If a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he's got the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Racism is not a question of attitude. It's a question of power. Racism gets its power from capitalism. Thus, if you're anti-racist, whether you know it or not, you must be anti-capitalist. The power for racism, the power for sexism, comes from capitalism, not an attitude. So, I think you all know where I'm headed here. You know, the shooting that was done down in uh, Georgia, the white domestic terrorists who killed eight people, six of them being Asian women. I mean, the man bought the gun that same day and went and shot them. (laughs) I mean, like, what the hell? He went and bought the gun the same day and shot them. That was very, very easy to get that gun. Wow. It, it's a struggle just for black people to register the vote in Georgia. He purchased the gun on the same day he murdered those eight people. You can't, I mean, you can't register and vote on the same day in Georgia. There's a 24-hour waiting period for abortion. It's easier to get a gun than to register the vote or get an abortion. And I'm not saying I'm one for abortion. I don't, you know how, how people do. You mention something, they think you're for it. I ain't a Trump supporter, I ain't a Republican, I ain't a Democrat. I'm just speaking. So, you have all this stuff happening. Um, he, he shot those people. And what was interesting about it, the same day that he did, that was the anniversary of the day that Latasha Harlan's was killed back in March 16, 1991 by Soon Jadu. She was a 15-year-old black girl and was killed by this eight, this Korean-American in the convenience store. Shot in the head. Shot dead straight in the head. She was convicted of voluntary manslaughter. I thought that was very weird that all of this happened in the same day, you know. But I'm not going to take y'all down no quote-unquote conspiracy theory. But the guy, um, 
This happened in Cherokee County in uh, Georgia. Um, the guy's 21 year old, 21 years old. His name is Robert Aaron Long. Um, I believe his own family turned them in from the surveillance footage that the police put out. He came out and told the police that he has a sexual addiction. Um, excuse me. I'm so sorry. So the police did a press conference, and I believe it was the chief of police. He came out and said that he was the guy was having a bad day. That's what he said. He said he was having a bad day. You know, and he reiterated what the domestic service said that, you know, he has a sexual addiction. He did this because he couldn't get the happy ending. And I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm saying that because I'm sure that's that's what his mindset was. And I'm sure what that privilege is, what is allowing him to have that um, compassion from the Cherokee County police officers as well as the chief. They don't believe it was racially motivated. It was it was said that he was um on his way down to Florida to carry out additional shootings, by the way. But, of course, you know, this was a white guy shooting Asian Americans. Um, I forgot which episode it was. I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before last. And I was talking about how this narrative has been popping up about um, violent crimes against Asian Americans from black, black Americans. Black Americans have been terrorizing and being racist towards Asian Americans. But now we have a, a case right here where a domestic, a white domestic terrorist, similar to the Kyle Rudolph, when Kyle Rudolph, another white domestic terrorist, went into a church and killed and shot up a whole bunch of black people at a Bible study. Okay? But... You know, nobody's focusing on that. Politicians aren't focusing on that. The mainstream media isn't focusing on that. The narrative is still being pushed that it is detrimental for Asian Americans right now. It is a threat on their lives. As if black people haven't been getting killed in the street like their dogs since... I don't know when, particularly focused when Barack Obama was in office. These white domestic terrorists are the epitome, the definition of toxic masculinity, okay? This is what is toxic masculinity. Not the black man, but the white Domestic service. That's toxic masculinity, okay? Let's make that clear. That's fucking toxic masculinity. You know, 
lot of people on social media and stuff, you know, um, in solidarity with uh, the Asian community. And it's, it's a lot of a lot of black people. Um, so it's kind of like we're falling into into that narrative, you know. And this is not me saying that, you know, they shouldn't do it or uh, or that those Asian lives weren't important because that's not what I'm saying. Hear me. That's not what I'm saying. My focus is on the narrative and the convenient... amnesia of all the black people that are killed each and every day. This narrative of black people are terrorizing the Asian community. You look at all of the numbers when it comes to hate crimes and how hate crimes in our community are triple that of the Asian community, double that of the white community. We are terrorized. We're the ones who terror are terrorized. But the narrative is being pushed that the black community is terrorizing the Asian community. The narrative is that the black community should be standing in solidarity with the Asian community. We have to hold, the black community, we have to hold these burdens on our back. We need to be allies to everybody who's getting terrorized. But these narratives aren't being pushed to the other communities to be allies for us, to stand in solidarity with us. I talked about this, particularly when it came to the feminist movement with black women standing in solidarity with white women, but in turn, the white women not standing in solidarity with the black women. Who are our allies? We aren't even allies to ourselves at times. It has been articles pushed out, as well as news reports pushed out about black people needing to be strong allies to the Asian community right now. Here's a title from a particular article. How black people can be strong allies to Asian Americans right now. Where were our allies? I saw something on, you know, a lot of people been arguing about this on social media and they've been talking about, you know, um, when have Asian Americans been allies to the black community? And um, I saw a couple of people talk about how the Asian community were allies to the Black Panther Party in the 60s. But look up this name for me. Richard Aoki. Richard, you should know how to spell Richard. The last name is A-O-K-I. Aoki. 
I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He was an Asian American that was part was part of the Black Panther Party. Stood shoulder to shoulder with the Black Panther Party, but wound up being found out that he was a government informant. I'm just saying. Um, we've had examples. I've talked about the Fred Hampton movie, The Judas and the Black Messiah. We got our own people who have been suspect. So make sure you look up that name, Richard Aoki. Richard A-O-K-I. Look that name up. Just do it. It particularly frustrates me because it seems like the black community, black people, we have no problem getting together to come in solidarity with other communities in their times of tragedies, but we don't do it in our tragedies. It's always infighting. There's always a, a person you have to watch out for who's working for the other side or whatever. It's a Judas in the in the in the crowd, you know. We help these communities that have been that benefit from white supremacy and have learned from white supremacy to hate us and that cause the downfall of our community. You know, I've seen certain black people say, you know, this is just straight white supremacy. Yeah, overall, it's white supremacy. But when it comes down to it, there are Asian Americans and Asian people in particular that don't like black people, whether it's over in America or in their country, in their countries. I mean, I've heard plenty of stories of people Black people have gone over into China and Japan and stuff like that and say all the the racism that they had to deal with and how the Asian people tried to touch their skin and touch their hair and stuff like that. You know, they're, they're feeding off of the same um, stigmas, the same hate and stuff that, you know, that white privilege is or white supremacy is perpetuated off of, you know, they're, they're, bene they're benefiting from white privilege. They're benefiting from white supremacy. As long as they're not black, they're benefiting. I mean, I've talked about it before how, you know, it's easy for them to come over here and get small business loans and to open up a business than it is for us, and we live here. I talked about how in our, in my in my neighborhood alone, I can go around the corner and it's, it's over five to seven businesses that are owned by Asian Americans. Whether it's nail salons, uh, carry out restaurants, or liquor stores are owned by Asian Americans in my neighborhood. 
I can literally drive five minutes and it's a whole street, a whole road, Oxen Hill Road in PG County, Maryland, where it is up to 10 businesses that are owned by Asian Americans, where the communi community is majority so-called black people and Hispanic or Latino people. This stuff is encouraged by white supremacy, by white privilege. They have the benefit of white privilege. That's why they can treat us the way that they do. That's why when a couple of years ago, back in 2019, where you saw all those videos on social media of black women being beat up by Asian women or Asian men in these nail salons or these beauty supply stores. But they never talk about the violence um, that Asian people do against black people. I just talked about the, excuse me, in the uh, beauty supply stores, in the nail salons. Excuse me. Look up this name right here. Daniel Holtzclaw. Daniel Holtzclaw. Daniel, you should know how to spell Daniel. Holtzclaw, H-O-L-T-Z. C-L-A-W. Look that name up. I'm not going to say nothing further. Please look the name up. You'll be surprised at what this Asian American was doing and the position that he was holding at the time that he was doing what he was doing. All these ethnic groups that ask black people to stand with them, see themselves as superior to us. That's what I'm saying. They're benefiting from white supremacy. They're benefiting from that white privilege. But no one ever discussed that. But we continue to step up and stand in solidarity for these people, these communities, and they don't do the same for us. We should be, we would, if we boycotted all Asian businesses, we would bankrupt them. Just like we will bankrupt America if we start doing for ourselves, but we won't do it. We won't. You don't see no Asian religious leaders coming out saying, forgive the white shooter. You don't see no, uh, uh, no, uh, fam no families that have suffered from the Asian violence coming out, giving hugs to the person that killed their family member. You don't see these Asian Americans uh, putting themselves, clumping themselves into persons of color when these situations happen. You don't see it. They stay, these other ethnic groups stay on code when these situations happen. Even when they don't happen, even when it's against us, they stay on code. I mean, shit. You got Mayor uh, Bill de Blasio coming out in New York said that um, he's about to put in place a, a law for hurtful comments. You will get a warning for saying some type of hurtful com comment um, 
being viewed as discriminating. That's what I'm saying. They're, all this stuff happening with the Asian community, they're criminalizing, they're, they're putting stuff in place to criminalize it against us. Even with Biden, he's, he's trying to rush a COVID-19 hate bill. Where was bills like this for us? We don't get bills like this. We didn't even get it when the so-called first black president was in office. We didn't get these deals. But these other communities came. Biden has done stuff for the LGBTQ community already. He's done stuff for the, the uh, Hispanic Latino community, Mexicans, the immigrants. Now he's doing stuff for the Asian Americans. He ain't done shit for us. They are using symbolism to keep us happy, to keep us in place. This is what the fuck Kamala the shit is. A person who is of Asian descent. She's an Asian American. And as I said, they use the black term with her as convenience to get what they want. I mean, even even beyond uh, America, Africans have been going through it over in China since COVID-19 has been going on. They have been dealing with considerable racism since COVID-19 has been going on. They have been harassed. They've been being beaten, locked up, and all that. And even before, like I said, even before, even before the COVID stuff, you have black people going over into those countries and being looked at as their zoo animals or something. There's a second wave. Since the second wave of coronavirus, there has been considerable racism against Africans in China. This shit is out there for you to see. Like, we we'll sit back and always just take everybody else's word for it. Like, I was, I always laugh at this, how black, older black people over here in America will sit there and watch the news and listen to everything that the news got to say and believe it. Like, we just take every, either we'll, we'll believe everything we're being told or we've distracted with some celebrity shit. Just like recently, we distracted with the Saweetie and Quavo breakup and, and him cheating and shit. Some stupid shit. Some shit where they wasn't probably even in a real relationship. It was just a, probably a publicity stunt. Like a lot of a lot of countries are programmed by what goes on in America. So a lot of times they see racism against us and they look at us as being bad or, you know, y- y'all know. I mean, like I'm not saying anything new. <laughs> I'm really not.
like once again, yeah, this all comes down to white supremacy. But we not gonna we not gonna just glaze over the fact that there is hate from other communities. There's hate from Asian community, there's hate from Hispanic and Latino communities against black people. I mean, let's be real. There are uh Hispanics and Latinos that consider themselves as white. I've worked I remember I worked a part-time job uh, while I was in college, and I was a government contractor, and I was working um, uh, a maintenance janitorial job. And you would be surprised at how those um, Hispanics and Latinos would look at the black people that work there and how they would try to how it treat us. But they stayed, they stayed together, you know what I'm saying? They stayed on code with how, you know, how they how they they looked at things, how they how they would treat try to treat us and stuff like that. I mean, it was <laughs> I'm not saying anything that people don't know. I just I just feel like people just don't want to know. I feel like people want to stay conditioned to to uh keep focusing on their celebrities and partying and bullshit and stuff and and not really take certain things seriously because this stuff affects everybody. It's going to affect the future, the future generations and stuff like that. And I'm not saying to be serious all the time. I mean, shit, we like we are we are human, so we got to have some type of enjoyment. But damn, just don't try to just put your your blinders on and and not act like the stuff ain't happening around you. You know? I mean, like I said, the the liberals, Democrats, they they were out they were allies to the black community when they wanted our vote. But now all this stuff going on with the Asian community, you know, um, it's just like they forgot about us since they got in the office. They they certainly did. And they pushing these narratives through the media to keep us behind. I mean, it's the same thing with with a couple of episodes and I was talking about how Biden met with the with the so-called black leaders and was scolding them and talking to them like they were some children and saying that we need to start uh linking up with the the uh Hispanic community because we ain't going to be we ain't going to be shit in a few years. You see how they how they pushing and pandering to other communities except us. And I swear, man, I swear, they they got, they must know something about black people that we just don't know or we have, have truly forgotten because we must be some super-powered heroes out this joint that it must be like a situation where it's the Power Rangers or, or Captain Planet that if we just, if we just come together, if we just come together as a community, boy, we would just... We would just turn the whole world around and and they know it about they know if we come together, it'd totally be just a different story. And they they continue to work so hard to keep us separated. I swear, I swear that's the case. You know? You know, it's all it's people of color when when everything going on, but now this this man I don't even know where to keep going with this. I mean, I just feel like I'm wasting my breath. I feel like people ain't ain't worried about certain black people ain't worried about that shit. I mean, this shit is right in front of our face, and they and they know it, 
and it's just like we we don't give a fuck. We don't, they don't give a fuck. <laughs> oh man. Let me end the episode, man. Let me end the episode. Let me find a song to end this episode too. It's a taste to consider podcast. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Stitcher. Um, on Instagram, it's a taste to consider podcast, as well as greatest.i.am blog. Greatestiamblog.com. That's my mental health blog. If you're a first time listener, check all those things out. Once again, please continue sharing uh, my episodes. Um, I appreciate everybody who does it. Yes, I surely do appreciate you. Um, yeah, um, if it's like I said, send me drink recommendations, uh, cigar recommendations. Uh, t- you can send me topic recommendations. Um, Shoot, anybody want to come on the podcast? I mean, I get I've been getting that a lot for season three. Um, people that want want to come on the podcast, um, continue to do that, and you know we'll try to set something up. Yeah, a taste to consider podcast. Let me find this song. Um, um, I feel like it's a it's a Tupac kind of song right now. Um, let me see. Here we go. All right. Taste to Consider Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Silver, and I'll talk to you next week. Of course, the song ain't trying to come out. They must have uh, been listening through the cell phone and heard me talking about all of this. (laughs) <laughs> Let me stop <laughs> Y'all ain't never just tripped and pitched it Just looked at the whole situation Cause once you look at it you know, really do. They don't give a fuck about us This is Tupac They don't give a fuck about us Say sick and sit podcast. I'm your host, Derek Silver. Let's go. Say niggas is hard headed cause we love the trip. We quit with games and we bang with this thug and shit. I see you trying to hide hoping that nobody don't notice. You must always remember you're still a member of the hopeless. See your black light, me so you snap like me when these devils try to block. Trap our young black seeds looking. Coppers as stupid as the niggas they chasing. Looking for gold models. Our father figures is basis. Some say expect aluminum. Niggas at the party with they shotties just as rowdy as me Before I said computer chips, I gotta deal with brothers flipping I don't see no devils beating, only black blood dripping We can change, which now say I'm watching niggas work their lives out without pay <laughs> Whatever it takes to switch places with the busters on top I'm busting shots, make the world stop They don't give a fuck about us This is Tupac They don't give a fuck about us it's a taste sickness to the podcast. I'm your host, Derek Silver. Catch me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. I'll talk to you next week.